0: Hello and welcome to Through the Lens of Recovery, the podcast that digs into the issues, stories and triumphs that surround addiction. I'm Annie Murray, founder of Horizon, a not-for-profit filmmaking programme that teaches those in recovery from addiction how to
1: create compelling stories through the medium of film. And I'm Sophie Tertin, co-founder of The Joyful, a marketing agency for purpose-driven businesses. In this episode, we speak to Sohan Sahata, Managing Director of Backin, a Nottingham-based specialist drug and alcohol recovery support service for individuals, families and young adults from Black, Asian and minority ethnic communities. We discuss the
0: experience of BAME communities dealing with addiction in the UK, the impact of inadequate addiction services and barriers for BAME people, the back in culturally responsive model and why it's so important. In this episode, we discuss topics that some listeners may find disturbing, such as addiction, racial trauma, suicide, and drug abuse. This is an extremely important conversation, and we hope you enjoy listening.
1: I am absolutely delighted to welcome you today, Sohan. Thank you so so much for joining us. Let's kick off um, by if you sharing your story and how you came here today.
2: Okay, firstly, uh, thank you, Sophie. Thank you for this opportunity, and uh, and I'm grateful to be sort of having this space to talk about talk about issues that are very very sensitive uh, from the communities that I'm from, which is uh, which is the black and ethnic minorities. I'm from the uh, South Asian. Indian communities and uh, and my family you know we' we're, we're from the Sikh faith and um, it's been a long time you know I've been in, I've been in recovery for a very very long time now and uh, kind of working um, around providing support to to, to, to the BAME communities but also looking at uh, systemically, you know, kind of what's not what, what's not working, what hasn't been working. And, and and I always bring it back to my experience, you know, back um, back when I started my recovery, you know, when I came into treatment, when I went into rehabilitation, and that was over 25, 25 years ago. In terms of the system, treatment system, drug and alcohol treatment system, very little had changed. Things have progressively got worse over the decades. Now, the last few days, I've been thinking about, you know, you know doing this pod- podcast with you, Sophie, and I've been thinking, I want to talk about recovery. I want to talk about the health and well-being, the gratitude, the grace, the beauty about recovery, you know, the gifts of recovery, the, the, the transformational changes of recovery. And you know what? You know what I've been doing for the last 20 years? Been challenging the system. That's where a lot of my time, my energy... My valuable and precious time I could be spending with my family, with my children, has gone on to challenging the system, the so-called treatment system, uh, because it has it has let us stand. What I mean us is the ethnic minorities, communities, in such grave, unforgivable ways. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was looking at some research from 2001, 2011, and 2021 all saying the same thing
1: mm-hmm. that
2: the services are not able to respond to the needs of the ethnic minority communities, and uh, whilst the problems being equally, especially around alcohol, as bad.
1: Mm. That's one one of the the stats that shocked me the most when we when we first had our conversation, Soham was ninety five percent of people who are in. Um, in a recovery service that are being surveyed and, and having that are in the data system are white yeah. and yet we know that 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 percentage that proportion is absolutely completely unrepresentative of the population of people in this country and the population of people who are dealing with addiction issues
2: yeah so if it, I, I think that was 92 percent uh, that figure was uh, not with ninety-two percent of all people in treatment for their addiction recorded as white, there is a growing evidence of that. There's a growing evidence that reveals that black and Asian minority ethnic groups are underrepresented in treatment, and this was from the uh, All Party um, pol- Parliamentary uh, Group for the uh, Treatment of Addiction in the UK. Mm-hmm and 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 there are many reasons you know you know what i've what i've noticed is the blame is put on to the BAME communities there's reasons why they are not accessing treatment the the problem is on both sides but the bigger problem is on the treatment side nobody speaks about nobody acknowledges it and nobody wants to engage in a conversation about it but when we raise it when we challenge it it's like oh something's wrong something's wrong here and 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 then we're not being hurt. And um, the issues for the communities are many, and one of the issues is around mistrust. Issues around you know in, 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 you know stigma. Issues around uh, previous experience of r- racial or trauma. We d- just don't trust the system institutionally, structurally, because of the past experiences of uh, of racial trauma. And I say that. Ninety-five percent of the people that that we support, racial trauma is one aspect that is linked to their addiction, but it's also linked to their treatment in recovery, along with discrimination.
1: Mm-hmm. Along so it's with re-traumatizing in the process, is. where it rather than supporting, it's actually a re-traumatization of the issue in the first place.
2: It it, it is, and if we look at the um, you know the the very up. Op- uh, the very poor uptake of the vaccines by ethnic minority communities and they were labelled as resistant, vaccine resistant. Are they treatment resistant? Are they recovery resistant? There are issues, deep-seated issues that need to be addressed and I feel the only people that can address them along with partners is people from the communities that understand, that empathise, that that, that that relate to that identify with these particular sensitive experiences, especially particularly uh, around, around um, racial trauma and discrimination and feeling alienated. If you look at the services, a lot of the services I went through, I was probably the only ethnic minority, minority person standing there, yeah, in the waiting queue, within the service. I look around in the service. I don't see any ethnic minority staff. The, the, the drug and alcohol treatment services are designed, by design, therefore, for the white population. And if this was India, they'd be designed predominantly for the Indian people. If Africa, for the African people, we understand that. But we, can, we cannot claim to say that our services are welcome to all. They are welcome to all. But if they don't provide what the community needs then something is seriously wrong. Then we need to address that. Then we need to collectively have a conversation about that as recovery organisations, treatment providers, commissioners, policy makers, government, health planners, public health, NHS England. They all need to come round the table and talk about this because this has gone too far, Sophie. It bothers me. It bothers the life out of me. What drives me? People say your passion because you want to make a difference. The frustration... I got frustration fatigue. Talk about compassion fatigue. We got consultation fatigue. I got frustration fatigue. But the frustration has been my ally. It's been my strength. If I didn't have that, I don't think I would have got this far. And we don't give up. One of the things is we don't give up. We come too far. And Sophie's worth really importantly mentioning now. We've been probably one of the most active voices, one amongst a small handful across the UK. Who are speaking about the underrepresentation for BAME communities in treatment, the gaps in services, unmet need? We need other people to come on board and talk to us and let's have an open conversation about it and, 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 and let's go past feeling bad and intimidated and, 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 and wanting to avoid conflict. We've got to find solutions because people are dying, families are being harmed because they're. Addiction isn't being treated. We know there's a massive problem. We know there's a big problem across the Black and Asian communities and all the minority sort of groups.
1: It's interesting as well because um, I've I've been in talking to people um, for for other podcasts. Actually, I've been on a bit of a podcast frenzy um, around uh, diversity and inclusion. And something that's come up again and again has been the. Get the importance of getting comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. And I think one of the biggest challenges that we face in, and, and I can hold my hands up and say, I have been this myself, mm-hmm. is is, knowing that something has to be done, knowing that there has to be a conversation, but not knowing how to have that conversation and so avoiding it entirely. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm hearing in, in what you're sharing, Sohan, and what you shared with me already about your experiences is that feel that uncomfortability taking precedence over the importance of listening to another person's experience, admitting that you don't have the answers? I don't have the answers as a white British person. I don't I don't know what your experience is like. Mm. I understand what it's like to be someone who's dealing with alcohol and, and drug problems. I don't understand what it's like to have the racial trauma on top of that. But I want to know, <laughs> like, and I think that's the point. I want to, I want to yeah. open up a space for to hear that, and that's where I think that people need to get uncomfortable with that they don't have the answers, they don't know, and that's okay. You're not asking them to; you're just asking to be heard.
2: And 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 I really appreciate you saying that, Sophie, because it's really really important. If we can't have open and transparent conversations, we need to start recognizing what kind of what kind of health sector are we in in term in terms of uh, recovery and rehabilitation you know you know we know people need to get honest they need to get honest about their dishonesty if they want to get well that's the first characteristic and I think if the treatment services you know want to be better equipped I think they need to get honest as well and I know one of the reasons one of the reasons that shared with me why people, uh, in treatment, especially treatment providers, people working in uh, within treatment. There are people who want to have this conversation. So if it's really really good, really, really refreshing, you know most of my sort of English friends and colleagues they, we, we have a conversation because because they know it needs to be had, but they're in recovery. They understand there's another dimension to recovery that they don't understand. We know the lived realities of addiction. we know the the, the alienation and the stigma we feel as a collective society. Mm-hmm. but but there's layers of our recovery in terms of where like we say racial trauma and discrimination you know cultural stigma religious stigma it has a different sort of emotional current mm-hmm. it does have emotional current and, uh, and 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 it's very very intense i mean i mean i mean me coming from the uh, south asian communities me being a male and, and and addicted and me being a male who's been in 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 an, in an, uh, the uh, in and out this sort of criminal justice system, um, I get I, I get stigmatized. I get, um, people don't want to look at me, they don't want nothing to do with me, nothing to do with my family. It's bad for me, I can handle it as a male, but you know what? It's really bad for the South Asian women and girls, especially addicted to alcohol, especially doing other doing all all those substances. It's really, really bad. And we need to have this conversation. And we can't keep putting a plaster. The, what the system has done, and I think it's important for me to say that they've been putting a plaster on this for the last two decades. One of the ways they do it, they think they're being that that they're honouring diversity, equality, inclusion, is by having a BAME specialist worker, a BME specialist worker. Now they've got another one, BAME, They added an R at the end to a refugee. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. That's not, you know, that's not how we're going to do it. I think I think we need to have real conversations. There's a lived reality in the UK. There's a ticking time bomb of people, especially after the COVID, the escalation, the increase in cannabis mm-hmm. issues, uh, yeah, a, a synthetic cannabis in particular within the ethnic minorities, the alcohol and the cocaine and the other drugs.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and we need to get ready as a, as, a, as a society, as a community. And we have solutions. We have... Um, we have um, we have created a model in nottingham over the over the years sophie you know you know and 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 the model came about as an engage, as engaging with communities families young people over the years Recognizing, identifying what is it that they need, what's not working for them, why are they not engaging, and the ones who are engaging in mainstream services, why isn't it working? The pattern is the same. They consistently keep saying the same things, and that's not going to change. No matter what area we go, go to the services are not culturally adaptive, culturally appropriate to respond to their needs. That's not going to go away magically anytime. And people wanting to have a support system approach that can help to address their addiction, racial trauma, experience of discrimination, and also stigma within their communities. And also language is another part of that. Uh, a culture is another part of that. Spirituality and faith. Mm. The mainstream services are not even picking up these areas. How can they respond to it? They cannot no longer keep on saying the problem is with the community. The bigger problem is with our system and our poor drug and alcohol policy that has failed generations of ethnic minority sort of communities over the last twenty years. I've been around, mm-hmm. and and I'm not just saying this. This isn't just like um, like strong emotion. There's facts. There's data. There's research. There's needs health needs, consultations, reports going back 20 years. So all this is ordered.
1: So Han, when we spoke before, you gave me um, an example using using Nottingham uh, and the the representation of um, BAME people, communities living within Nottingham versus the amount of support that's actually engineered towards the the specific culture, the cultures and and the, the religious differences. Could you just tell us for for the sake of the podcast that again, because that really shocked me.
2: I would be happy to, because um, because Nottingham we're from Nottingham, and we I think we got a pioneering model, culturally responsive recovery model, in Nottingham developed and cultivated in Nottingham, and and Nottingham doesn't recognise that as as yet. There's something about stigma, you know you, you know. We're being ex-offenders, we're being in recovery and and, and the issues around commissioning. I'll come back around to that. One in four people in Nottingham are suffering with mental health. One in 10 are having issues with substance misuse. Nottingham population, I think is over 300, I don't know, estimated over 330,000. 45%, approaching 45% and over is BAME, Black and ethnic minority communities. And if you look at this population, the figures are given and the people accessing the mainstream drug services, alcohol treatment services, the numbers are so shocking. I'm not even gonna say them in this podcast because we have hope for Nottingham. The numbers are so low, so if you write, but Nottingham will not acknowledge it. And I want to say this, there has been a collective failure of local authorities in Nottingham over the years. They will not listen to us. One of the things, that, you know, they invite us into consultations, they want to have meetings, they don't hear us. They listen, but they don't hear us. It's all tokenistic, all of this inclusion and diversity, sort of, it's, it's, it's all a show. And I want the reason why I'm, why I'm saying that, because because our sentiments... What we convey, what put forward, what we tell, what we share with the commissioners and local authorities, you know what? It doesn't translate into action. It doesn't translate into commissioning sort of change or treatment system change or or, or uh, 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 interventions change. Nothing. It just falls on deaf, deaf ears. It looks good. We've spoken to backing, We've spoken to someone. We've spoken definitely minority communities. Tick this box. Tick that box. I want to see action as a response of the expertise, the lived experience that I've imparted with you. That hundreds, hundreds of families over the years have have left with the commissioners local health authorities, that hasn't translated into system change, into culturally appropriate services, into into in, into increasing sort of ethnic minority sort of workforce. It hasn't. Things are the same. If they are changing, they're very, very little. And I have to give credit to that wherever it is. But it's not good enough. It, it's not to the standard that it needs to be.
0: I would like to ask Sohan, um, you've been in recovery 25 years. Is that right?
2: I have, yes, thank you. That's
0: an amazing achievement, full stop. And I think with your added pressures of coming from such what sounds like a very difficult and very extremely challenging type of recovery path for you, Uh, you know, for for, for me, yes, it was a difficult path, but I I found it. I'm I'm a white female. I'm a part of the LGBTQ plus uh, community. I have found people. I've found services. I've found the doors open wide to me and I found my recovery of six years. Um, My question to you, I I think, is you found your recovery, you're 25 years in, and you you said you wanted to speak about some of the joy of recovery. And I'd love to hear some of your joy of recovery as well, because I am hearing very much of of the difficulties. But how have you managed 25 years with all these added challenges? How have you stayed sober through this? I mean, What what would be your advice to other people now? What what could they cling on to that would help them find sobriety?
2: I think... Thank you, honey. I think for me, because my addiction took me to places, one of the things I vowed in my early recovery, I never want to go back there again. Mm. I never want to go back to that pain, that misery, Mm. that heartache, that turmoil, that anguish that I went through, that my family went through, that my Mm. mother went through, my father went through, and my children neglected and abandoned because my addiction had a hold on me. You know what? I don't want to go back there again. That was my attitude. I'd rather take a bullet. I'd rather take a bullet than pick up and go back to that misery, that heartache, that okay. torment. Don't want to go back there. So I think mine was like a, at the beginning was a gritted attitude.
0: Okay. Yeah? yeah.
2: Things haven't changed for me. All the using I did, all the different experimentations, nothing changed what's going to change after 20 years of experience of using it never got better it got worse consequences increased heartache everything increased mm-hmm. so i think that was my attitude i'm not going to go back there again and i think the other thing that helped me was um uh, was uh w- was my involvement at that time in the 12-step fellowship of narcotics anonymous
0: Great. now
2: i've got to say this i've been in that fellowship I move across wherever, wherever there's a good community, good support. Mm. I'm going to move there. Why not? Mm. I can learn. I can grow. We can give and, we, you know, you know we give and take. But NA was uh, not quite synonymous in Nottingham. I think it started. It was six months into his, in, in, in the first meeting ever in, in, in Nottingham at the health shop. And mm. I came into that in the mid-90s. And it was difficult at first. For me, because I felt alienated because it's all new and everybody's talking a different language. And Mm. I'm I'm amongst people. I've never been around these people before. People Mm. who want to get sober. They want to get, they want to come off drugs and they're talking about 12 steps. All of this was alien to me. But slowly I started to make friendships in there. Some Mm. of my best friends are from NA and some of my best friends are white. Yeah, Yeah, my best friends. And, and and some of my friends are from the LGBT community. Yeah, really, really good friends because we we get on. We understand. We understand the challenges we face as minorities, but also, but but, but the love for NA. I got so much love for NA. I got mm-hmm. so much love for the addicts that walk in one day clean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They said they, they, they have a desire. I get fired up. Oh, I'm on fire when I hear <laughs> it's that a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. And I've yeah. been to the and I've been to the conventions. So a lot of my recovery foundation mm. I, my roots are in NA.
0: Yep. I got to say that I have yep. the
2: highest love and respect, you know, as a fellowship and as a 12 step program. Yeah. You know, I I've, I I've, I've, I've had predominantly positive experiences but I have racially charged experiences as well. I and mean, right. and I didn't and I didn't want to go back to the meetings. And yet, that's where I found solace. That's where I found comfort. Mm. I found comfort being in a space where everybody has got the same intention. I don't want to use today. I don't want to get high today. Mm. There's got to be another way. I want to live a better life. I want freedom from addiction. That's the space I was in. And I felt comforted in that space. That was my solace. That was my space to get out of my my, my negative thinking. Mm. But there, there was other things happening within that space you know, Mm. experience of discrimination. And uh, Mm. being the minority was a difficult, difficult Mm. one. I feel quite comfortable going to meetings, but I know people from our communities, they may not feel comfortable. Um, I mean, that got me through. And and, um, yeah, the, the, the steps, the reading, the literature and all of that, reading about addiction, recovery materials, load of things got me through. But the one thing that's been consistent and is really important was my faith. A faith that I uncovered in my recovery, a faith that came I came to connect with was through soul searching, through a broken heart, a tormented mind, in, in, you know, from a suicidal, a deeply psychotically suicidal state of mind, I connected to my faith, I found my faith in the moments when I wanted to give up and not carry on and go back. I'm not going to go back. I said that already. But there were, you know, the you know the lived realities. When I'm in that space, I'm fighting against that. It was my faith. A faith that I had no name for, no description for. It was something greater than me. It was something. It was something beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that's how I see recovery. I see recovery as a noble journey, as a noble remedy, as a noble freedom from addiction, from the heartaches of addiction. That's how I see it. And I did a lot of reading. I spent a lot of time in the library. I didn't do too well at school. All my learning I did in recovery. I never worked before properly, full time for anybody. Because my life has been in active addiction from the age of eight and a half, nine, all wow. the way into, me, all the way into my 30s. a long time. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. An amazingly long time.
2: Yeah, but and... I learned a lot of things, you know what I mean? And uh, and, and I want to talk about recovery. I already said recovery on Noble Journey It's the most beautiful thing that has happened to me. It's the most beautiful gift that's coming to come into my grasp, into mm-hmm. my path. Because when I was in addiction, I was looking for, is there anything for me, anything that can lift me out of that world of darkness and desperation and mm-hmm. decadence? Is there anything? I didn't know it would be called recovery. Many years mm. later, I find that is called recovery, and am yeah. I, I going to let it go? No way. I'm going to celebrate indeed.
0: recovery and what champion they, recovery. What they say in the rooms, isn't it? Is that it's, it's a god of your choosing. It's it's a higher power of your understanding. So it doesn't need to be scary. It doesn't need to be religious. It doesn't need to divide us either. We can yeah. all collectively come together, no matter what sort of ethnic background you're from. We can collectively yeah. come together and say, well, actually, something here in this room, in this in this universe, is lifting us all out of this addiction yeah. and into recovery so it is a beautiful thing i've been there myself and yeah every day is magical and a gift of course um so i i would like to understand a bit more about what it is within the services and what it is that what i'm hearing is that people are maybe holding back in in black and, and ethnic minority groups they're finding it difficult to access the services that that i've accessed and other people many other people have accessed locally here in brighton and ho for example um What is it that's stopping people accessing the same service that I've that I've gone through here in Brighton, for example?
2: I I think the main thing is around uh, around mistrust from the community point of view, from their side. They don't trust the services. And and -hmm. sometimes and sometimes if they're covering racial trauma, for example, experience of discrimination, racial abuse, racial violence. Mm -hmm. They're not gonna to go to a service, an institution right here that reflects the perpetrators or people. You know, I'm talking about transference here. You know, you, you know, when we, you know, you know, like childhood trauma, of course, my childhood trauma right here was racially charged, racially violent, racially aggressive. I've been fighting it all these years, but I'm 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 fighting it intelligently nowadays. Before I fought it with my fist, with a weapon, I ended yeah. up in prison, yeah. I ended up harmed. You, you, you know so people carry those um strong intense traumas and mm-hmm. and um and i'll give you one example one one mm-hmm. of our one of our service users one of our peers we don't like to call them service users we like to call call, call our peers friends or back in yeah mm-hmm. we're not i'm not a service user i'm not a patient i'm not a client i'm not this that and the other i'm a friend or back in so anybody that comes here is a friend or backing, is a friend of recovery you could say now He shared in in, 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 in a piece of research we're doing, he will not go to a mainstream service. It was was an employment agency because I'm not going down there. We said, why not? It's to the guy who's who's my key worker. He reminds me of my teacher that racially abused him.
1: He's not shared that
2: with anybody, but he's totally shared that with us. And I thought, wow. Wow. That okay. is wrong. This, but, this, but, 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 but we're telling him no, that is not the, that's not the teacher that did that to you. But mm, it's that displacement, mm. it's that transference. Yeah.
0: It's a real that. fear. So that so what's holding people back is, is is essentially a fear of being treated in the same racially abusive way by stepping in through these doors. Right. So we've right. got an issue. We've got an issue whereby we need people within these services who represent your community, your specific community within a community, shall we say There, you know, there's many different types of them, but it sounds like we all need to see a familiar face when we walk through and yeah. feel safe. Mm-hmm. The main point of finding recover- recovery is to f- feel that safety in the people that you're around. Otherwise, you're not going to share. You're not going to open up. You're not going to turn up. So we need more faces recognisable from your communities within the services to make them more accessible. Is that w- Would that be a solution, do you think?
2: I would so I one of them? I would I would I would say it'd be one of the solutions mm-hmm. but, but but what we don't want it to be a marketing optic a marketing sort of exercise mm-hmm. where, cool. where having having a black and brown face in your mm. organization it frees you from your, yeah box ticking. it frees <laughs> you from the responsibility of modifying the programs you know the interventions mm-hmm. you know you know trying out different interventions I yeah. think what will it's partly it will work because you need faces, you need familiarity, mm-hmm. you need to be able to relate to people identify culturally. But but what I would suggest is having people with lived experience who want to work in this field from the ethnic minority mm. communities because they can better engage. But if you just got black and brown faces, because I tell you, people from my community, I can't, most of them I can't relate to. I can't identify with them at the level of my recovery. My mm. recovery needs I cannot because it's like we live in two different realities. So in the services we do need to increase, but we also need to scale up the workforce as well. But also right. the workforce that's not kind of being we talk about cultural competence training, uh, and then and and then culturally informed training. No one's talking about that. Everybody's jumped on this. Oh, you, you, you know you know you know trauma informed care. I was going to
1: say trauma-informed care has got a much bigger reputation or a much bigger press these days. And it it seems, again, to not be specific enough and for the the responsibility to really look at where that trauma is and why and really show a willingness to be in the space of empathy for different minority groups. It's not just about trauma. We all have trauma. It's a specific mm. kind of trauma that that you're that, that, that is required, and and I think that's a really a really important point generally in how we can how we can even go to the root of all of this, which is cultural um, discrimination, racial discrimination. That is that is an undercurrent in this country, whether you like to admit it or not. It's 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 clearly there. And so much of that, I think, comes down to misunderstanding and fear driving people's behaviors. And it's reflected in a system that doesn't seem to want to be responsible for the fact that that there isn't there isn't no responsibility. No one's standing up and saying, let's educate, let's let's empathize and understand and seek to understand one another. And then we're in a totally different
2: situation on all levels and, and we and we are and uh and you know when we talk about cultural competence training generally I know some of my English friends my colleagues their backs go up oh not 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 this again not this bane thing again oh no we can't we can't be doing this because the trouble that it causes because because the uncomfortability that it t- sort of sort of sort of generates in us Cause cultural competence training, it forces all of us to look at. I've got to look at my own cultural competence. Me being Brian and from the South Asian community, being community, it doesn't it it doesn't make me a make me culturally competent sort of expert. I need to assess my own culture, my own attitudes, my own biases, my own prejudices against other people. I need to address that. I think once we start to become reflective. It makes it easier for us to connect with other people. We're a society. We're very externally focused. Our locus of evaluation is external. Everything is out there, out there, out there. But what recovery teaches, what some, some of the treatment models teaches, it forces us to look inwards. If practitioners, if workers, if, if, if managers, if commissioners, they had that capacity to do that, I think the landscape will be completely different for recovery and the way we view people who are termed as addicts and alcoholics in our communities. But the other thing, just to go back to Annie's point, training is really, really important. Sophie, the other thing is really important is the investment in community-led recovery organisations, peer-led organisations across the board. Doesn't matter what community you're from, but the investment of BAME-led recovery organisations is what we need because there's only a public couple in the country. I don't even know if there's any more besides Back In. There are newly formed BAME organisations, and I think there's a handful, but that's what we need as well in terms to address the gaps. You know, you, you know, increase the uptake. And then, and, and then build the trust of the people, you, you, you know, you, you know, to improve engagement. It's like the, the answer's in the communities, but not in the treatment services. Recovery happens in the communities, not in the treatment services. The treatment services, what they do is good. It works. But to, there's another dimension to recovery, abstinence-based recovery, spirit-centred recovery, culturally-centred recovery, faith-centred recovery. That's a, That's a completely different dimension. And they're not going to get that, you know what I mean? And uh, and and because if they would have got it, I've been speaking about it for 20 years, they would have got it, mm-hmm. so to speak. So we need investment in community grassroots organisations. And uh, we need a massive injection, massive investment. And and the harm reduction, the drug treatment, the alcohol treatment and the recovery communities, I think we, we need to work in equal partnership. There has to be a level of sort of rec- respect and acceptance because what we do people in recovery, lived experience recovery organisations. We are the heartbeat of the communities. We can go to places 24-7, treatment services can't go, and yet they get all the investment. Mm. Harm reduction, stabilisation is part of the journey. I mean, what ambitions have we got for a population that is harmed by addiction, drug and alcohol? Do we want a life of sobriety for them, a life of abstinence? Or do we want want them stuck in a cycle of harm reduction? Keep them in that state. I've got friends, 30 years, 30 years on methadone. They are damaged. Methadone helps a lot of people. Mm. It's a pathway. It's a alleviator. It helped me when I had it. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not talking against it because it plays its role. But to have somebody for 30 years, 30 years, another person for 20 years, What was this treatment system doing? Were they not talking to this person, talking about his issues, his psychological health, his well-being, his traumas, his mental health? You only got a five minute key working session. Okay. We'll see you again. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm only using 100 mils of methadone and I'm using gear on top of that. And I'm committing crime. Yeah. I'm doing good. Yeah. Okay. See you later. See you next month. We'll have a review in three months. That's our common practice in the UK. That is our common practice. And it's not acceptable. If the drug treatment services, if you're going to medicate your own family for these long periods of time, think about it. You will not medicate your families, your family members for 20, 30 years of time. And that's happening. These are kind of of minor incidences, but it's a reality. It bothers me. Because I wanted to come off methadone and my treatment service kept me on it for five years. I goes, no, 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 no. I want to get off it. I want something in between. I got a problem with smack and I want to get off it right, but give me something that's going to leave you in my pain. Put me on it for five years. That's telling me something is wrong with the system. Three months, six months, nine months, yeah, it's acceptable. And I found it hard to come off the methadone than I did off the gear. Mm. The dirtiest gear you can buy, we had it in our time. And I was boosting it up me, you know, up, up my veins and that. Dirtiest gear. But the hardest I had to come off, drug I had to come off was methadone. I'm not slagging methadone. I'm not putting it down, anything like that. So, if you, you know what I mean? But I'm just speaking about, I feel strongly about that because I know a lot of my friends in my past, they're on methadone program, 20, over 10, 15, 20 years. You know what? They said they're not going to come off it. They're going to stay on it. You know why? Because it allows them to continue to use on top of that. When they got no money, yeah, when the money is spent, methadone will do.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's the cheapest thing that a treatment service can give. It's the cheapest thing that, that, that the state can give to someone who's looking for freedom, someone who's looking for relief, someone who's looking for comfort, someone who wants another way to live, someone who wants to be, someone who wants to be present, someone present as a, as a father, as a mother, as a child, who wants to be present, not intoxicated, not retoxed.
1: Mm.
2: not have methadone running through your brain, through your body all of these years, Sophie, I've got to speak about it because my, it's my friends who are out there who are on this and they're struggling to get off. If I don't voice for them, what am I doing?
1: No, I understand that. And, you know, with any kind of opioid, the longer that you're on it, the more it changes, fundamentally changes your whole body chemistry. And then dope, the more dope sick you get when you don't have it. And it, it, you know, it is something that is really important in the process, but I agree with you. It's not the fix.
2: It's it's the short term. It's an interim. It's an intervention. It's not. It's not. It's not a lifelong cure. Mm. You know what I mean? We need to. I don't hear anybody talking about ab- abstinence based recovery. You know. You know. There was a time when we reco- when we spoke about recovery. Recovery was about getting off the drugs. It was about getting off the alcohol. It's about getting that freedom from that regular madness of sort of sort of life of using, and now. I don't even hear about abstinence. But one thing I want to share with our listeners is every person we've had that come through the doors or back in over the last 20 years, everybody, when they came, they came here battered and broken. You know what what they wanted? They wanted freedom from addiction. Mm -hmm. They wanted total and complete abstinence. Some were using alcohol only. Some were using class A's only. Some were using a mixture of all of these, even prescription drugs. You know what they wanted? Abstain, abstinence. How can they learn to live a life of abstinence and enjoy life without drugs? Enjoy life without mm. drugs.
0: And so, alcohol. Han, out of interest, how many people are in your community? Or you this thing that you've built sounds amazing and it's having a success, a massive success. So, I'd like to know how many people you've got in your community and how long it's been running. Tell me more about that.
2: Yeah, we've been running for uh, since 2003, but obviously, I've been doing this sort of work. I put mm. the work in since 1995. You know, from my one day clean, I've been putting up <laughs> work in, and uh, we we support an average of hundred families a year, and these families are presenting with complex needs. Yeah. you know, like mental ill health, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, mm. DV, uh, domestic av- abuse, contact with the criminal justice. Some of mm. them sort of issues with homelessness. So about hundred families we work in, you know, intensely with complex and, needs.
0: And this is in the Nottingham area.
2: This is in the Nottingham area. Yep. I, I say about ninety percent of Nottingham, maybe maybe eighty-five percent of Nottingham, but the others are from across the country. We've had okay. people come from London, mainly across the East Midlands, Leicester, and Derby. We get a lot from there. That's
0: amazing. Okay. So it, I mean, it's it's and there's nothing quite like it in these other areas. So they are therefore traveling to you. Uh, and your there is nothing like this.
2: So I, mean, I mean, there is there's nothing like this across the UK, so across Europe.
0: With these statistics that you have, I mean, this is a really good cause for, for, for extending your programme into different areas around the UK. I mean, this would be an amazing feat, would it not, to, to launch another programme uh, in, in other local uh, areas around the country, different counties, and expanding. It's amazing. I
2: mean, I mean that, that will be common sense.
0: Mm-hmm. That,
2: that, that will be common sense. You know, you don't thought the commissioners, people in policy... Everybody's running, nets, every, 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 everybody's running. Everybody's running up here, but you know yeah. what? They're, you know they're hesitant. They're mm. resistant. They're okay. resistant and hesitant in trying art or culturally mm. appropriate, culturally adapted, culturally responsive, whatever name you want to give. It mm. works. We see recoveries through the lens of culture, culture embodying race, ethnicity, mm. faith, spirituality, all of those dimensions. That's we see through through that. I mean, I mean, we got in terms of mutual aid. uh, Sorry, in terms of mutual aid, we got smart recovery. You know, I mean, secular doing some good work. We got the twelve step, but there's one thing that's missing Mm -hmm. is the culturally responsive recovery, and we have that. We Mm -hmm. have that here in Nottingham, in the UK, for the taking. But it just who's going to step up and say, look, let's try this out here. Let's try this out there. Not only as a mutual aid uh, seven days. support online and physical meetings, but you've got the counselling, you've got mm. the peer advocacy, you've got the mentoring, you've got the recovery coaching, you've got the community outreach, you've got the specialist prison inreach. There's so many levels that mm. were perfected in the last 20 mm. years or so. There's something and uniquely happening here.
1: And Sohan, you've you got a book, Shades of Recovery, which explores the stories of your community and is a, a really powerful way of getting what you're up to out there into the world um launches on the 18th of may um i'm just conscious of the time so if you could give us a brief overview of, of this book and anyone who's listening who um like us would love to understand more about your the cult this cultural cultural approach to recovery and how you know with horizon even how we can bring mm. this into the communities that we're part of yeah the first yeah the first <laughs> phase which the first stage would be this book so tell us about the book
2: so the book is the um it's the collection of expressions is the term that came into mind today in supervision i was talking to my supervisor today and 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 and, and i'm trying to find myself but myself is a collection of expressions over the years, yeah, infused by frustration, by passion. So that's what's coming across. I don't know if you heard someone speaking today, but you've heard a collection of expressions, yeah, yeah. that I've that I've that I've learned and I picked up from people over the years. So the so the book is ma- mainly focusing on many of the things I've expressed. It's talking about the uh, about the struggle of the ethnic minority community, their search for uh, for recovery and treatment, appropriate mm-hmm. right treatment and care and then and then and then the other part is our challenges our struggle against the commissioning against policy against local authorities you know getting recognition in what we're doing and the third part of the book right yeah the third lane is is we being people in active recovery you know dealing with our own stuff as it's coming up. you know we are growing we are evolving so there's three trajectories but, but at the heart of it, it talks about the back into life recovery model, our day to day activity. It, it gives you a window to our philosophy, how we operate uh, 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 and then how we deliver services. What are our values? What are our principles? It goes into that. And then the other part of the book, it, 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 it kind of goes into the uh, the success stories, the chapter on success stories. But there's another chapter, right? Uh, yeah, that's on, um, you know, making recommendations for government, for local authorities, for commissioners. And um this book came together at this time. I've been trying to write this book for years. It just came about now in the last, last year or so, you know, during the COVID lockdown. It just came about because there's so much happening. I felt it was need it needed to be written right now. It's a very, it's a very powerful insight into into our model and into the struggles that our communities are going through. But we also providing solutions to the reader you know, to, you know, you know, you know, to UK's healthcare. So, so the mm-hmm. book is for everybody really, you know, from mm-hmm. someone, you know, from a family member, someone who's curious about, you know, addiction recovery, want to learn, students, but uh, academics. And, and I, can I say, can I say this, Sophie? David Best, the great Professor David Best was the first one to read Chase of Recovery. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, and, and I, and I gave him a signed copy. And I said, may you find the light in shades of recovery. That was my message. So, so he gets it. He gets you know, you know it's the cultural issues. I think that's what we put in the spotlight on. Shining the mm-hmm. torch on the cultural issues, like we talk about, you know, racial trauma, discrimination, all of that. That is really, really important. Part of someone's addiction is also part of their recovery, part of their treatment and well-being and rehabilitation. What can be you, you, you can get the book on Amazon.
1: And we will um, share the link in the podcast notes for anyone um who is listening. Um and and certainly anyone who's listening who's involved in any kind of decision making when it comes to recovery, this is this reading this book is an absolute must. So, Han, we've come to almost the end of our time um, and you have provided such incredible insight and passion and I can really hear the frustration as well that that you're going through and I'm sure anyone listening, it's an uncomfortable thing to hear and I think it's so important to be uncomfortable in this conversation. Um, and I would say that it's it's really up to all, every single one of us in being responsible for our part to play in this as a much bigger issue, not just affecting addiction and recovery, but a much bigger mm. issue in this country. And I just want to thank you so much for your transparency and 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 honesty and bravery and, yeah. in thank- in standing up. If Thank for all you for here. helping
0: us understand more the issue as well. Because for, for me, it, 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 it's not black and white. Is it? it's, it's literally, it's that there, there, there? are so many different things that we can do to help uh, individually and collectively. But certainly, the services can can really step up here as well. But uh, making the issue known is half the battle. So the more we can shout about it together and uh, and raise those voices and, and get this this issue heard and properly properly seen to and 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 and, and ad- adapted. Yeah, people yeah can i can
2: I, can i just leave on one message all all the drug workers all the people working in treatment and recovery you know you're putting your heart and your commitment into helping people in their communities mm. i want to say to you well done mm. well done for being mm. part of the solution there's mm. so many of you around the country and to some of the commissioners you know who are open-minded maybe mm. maybe the one or two one or two people in policy who are open-minded i want to say mm. you know good on you
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you, Sohan. Um, and mm-hmm. before before we go, I'm going to hand you over to Annie for oh. our rapid-fire question round. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> here we go. So, are you ready?
2: Yeah.
0: Sohan, what do you enjoy doing in your free time?
2: Uh, chewing gum. Oh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> that I was just not came to me. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. Would you like? Is that your final answer? No, no,
2: no, 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 no. <laughs> what do I? I I think is spending time with my mm-hmm. family. With my yeah. grandchildren and my children and my mom and rest mm. of my family,
0: mm. when I
2: get the time, and that's and mm. I'll do that.
0: Beautiful. And what's okay. one piece of advice you'd give someone who's sober, curious, perhaps from perhaps from your
1: similar backgrounds, um, and maybe who just wants to get free from addiction? Yeah.
2: Comment, comment, talk to us.
1: Mm.
2: And uh, and if you don't like what we're saying, you can go back to whatever you was doing. Mm. But come back, comment, talk to us. You will not be the same after one conversation.
0: Oh, I love that power of conversation. <laughs> so, yeah. so, Han, uh, finish this sentence addiction is
2: chained to misery,
0: mm. and recovery is freedom. Yeah, <laughs> baby. Uh, so we how are can, free. We are Thank free. And doesn't <laughs> it feel good? Uh, so, how can we better support Bane people in the sober community? Tell us.
2: Talk to them, make them mm-hmm. welcome, ask right. them in terms of what support they need and what would that look like?
0: Mm. Good one. And what advice would you give yourself at the beginning of your recovery, if you could go N- back?
2: Never give up. Recovery will be the best thing that will ever happen to you in your whole life.
0: And do you think you would have listened to yourself?
2: <laughs> I would have heard myself
0: loud and clear. Loud and clear. I look good.
1: Good. I'm glad. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much, Sohan. It's been a real pleasure.
2: You're welcome. Thank you for this opportunity. Sophie, I mean, great to speak to you today. Thank you for this you space. Too. And uh, continue
0: the good work. Thank you. You too. You too. Take right. care. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. This podcast has been brought to you by Horizon, a non-profit that provides film and media training to people in recovery from addiction. To find out more about Horizon, you can visit our website at www.myhorizon.rocks or follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Horizon Brighton.